You're listening to the Kilcullen Diary Podcasts. Stories in sound from a village grown bigger. Hello, I'm Brian Byrne. It's the 27th of January, 2021. On this day in 1945, Soviet troops liberated the concentration camp at Auschwitz in Poland, giving the date for what is today International Holocaust Remembrance Day. I don't think I'd ever met a concentration camp survivor before, one day 14 years ago, I got on a plane for a four-hour journey from Tel Aviv to Frankfurt. It didn't feel like four hours in the end, because my assigned seat happened to be beside a woman a decade or so older than I, one Sarah Atzman. We talked, and time just faded. By the time we landed, she had told me much about her life. The conversation prompted me to subsequently research some more. Sarah Gottdeiner, as she was born, was 12 when she was liberated from Bergen-Belsen camp by the American army in 1945. She'd been there for a year, her family one of many thousands of Hungarian Jews sent to the camp for processing under the Hitler grand plan to cleanse the world of undesirables. Some 60 members of her wider family were murdered in various ways. She saw her father die in 1944 in Auschwitz, where the family had been shipped prior to going to Belsen. His death was as a result of deprivations he had suffered in a forced labour camp to which he had been taken some four years before. But of 16 of Sarah's siblings, 13 survived. With her on our flight from Tel Aviv, were her husband Yuri and two of her sisters still living. That her father had died was in an ironic way fortunate for Sarah and her brothers and sisters. It was because of this that they were allowed into Palestine while children who were not orphaned were turned away. When she arrived there four months after liberation, her weight was just 17 kilos. Our food in the camp had been bread made from wood dust, she said and soup made with grass. She recalled how one of her sisters had a birthday in the camp. I gave her a piece of my bread, ration as a present. It was the only thing of value I had. Having reached Palestine, she felt so lucky that she wanted to run around shouting that she was alive and that she was a free Jewish girl. She learned Hebrew, and with others of her age, also learned how to fight, with sticks, because under the British occupation of Palestine, weapons were not allowed to the refugees. In 1948, that changed with the formation under a League of Nations declaration of the State of Israel for the Jewish nation and Palestine for the Arabs. The British left, and the two new nations were immediately embroiled in conflict. Sarah graduated from high school in 1949 and studied at night for her further education. It was in those classes that she met her husband, Yuri Atzman, a young soldier, the son of a German Jew who had come to Palestine in 1932 as a British soldier and settled there. Yuri eventually reached the rank of Lieutenant Colonel, and he had fought in every subsequent Arab-Israeli war in a tank division. Sarah, 
who also had served a stint in the Israeli army, was at the time of our conversation an artist whose paintings of her recollections of Belson are world-renowned. The paintings didn't happen in her early years of marriage and raising six children. She didn't want to talk about the Holocaust then and blanked it from her mind. I only started painting after my first return visit to Hungary 20 years ago, she told me. I met Hungarians who asked me why I had left. I got angry because they didn't seem to know anything about what had happened. That anger led to her first painting, which featured a red child's shoe, because during her time in the camp she had one red shoe. The other was a woman's high-heeled one. She didn't paint again immediately. But then the first Gulf War broke out, and I felt we were in danger, and that triggered me into painting more, she recalled. It got so that I couldn't stop painting. You need to deal with the stories that stay in your mind. Sarah was on a mission ever since then to tell in her own particular way the truth about the greatest cataclysm to happen to an ethnic group of people in the 20th century. She lectured particularly in schools because she felt the young people didn't understand fully what had happened during World War II. Her use of paintings as a medium was ironic in one way, in that the Jewish religion doesn't allow sculptures or paintings in its iconography. But she felt that visuals are things that all people understand. They speak alone, she said, without the need for different languages. You need to use all things that you can to describe the turmoil. That need led her to experiment with short film and audio. A seven-minute documentary she produced uses the clacketing of railway travel as a background, reflecting how most of the Jews who died in World War II were transported by cattle trains to their deaths. The piece had profound results when she showed it in schools. She has exhibited in many countries around the world and spoken in every country she got a chance to. When I met her, she was flying from Israel to speak at the opening of a new museum in Bergen-Belsen. She had prepared a short address, outlining her background and her reasons for continuing to try and keep the details of the Holocaust in the minds of generations who weren't even born when it happened. We, who were here in real time, lost parts of our body and soul, she told them. Every time that I arrive, I search for that childish happiness of mine that was lost here. In my mind, I hear the prayers and souls of the poor people that could not hold on, still hovering around in this space. In hearing the prayers of these white naked skeletons screaming with open mouths, I am once again that little girl watching in fear, hoping that maybe they will come back to life. At night time, just as I heard my neighbours weeping after seeing their dear ones led to the altar, my fears prevail that we will all die then and there. But we survived and maybe we are here to tell this generation who will pass it on to the next generations that these victims in their death ordered us life and screamed the outcry of the Jewish nation. Sarah Atzman's mission was based on her belief that the duty of explaining is sacred. We must explain to today's youth that they are the last to meet living survivors, she wrote, that they are our hope and that the message to the next generations would be passed on because they are the ones that met survivors. We are the remaining living evidence. 
She is adamant that she and people like her do not hate as a result of what was done to them. No, we do not hate, and we do not teach our children to hate, she said. We saw and learned what hatred leads to. Sarah Atzman is now 88, and today a 2014 documentary on her life by filmmaker Ilona Rothen will be streamed online to continue the work she has been so engaged in for many decades. But genocidal activity is still rife even in this 21st century. The treatment of the Rohingya by the Myanmar authorities, the Dinka and Nuer mutual atrocities in South Sudan, actions against Yazidis, Shiites and Christians in Syria and Iraq, ethnic killings in Darfur, and China's current persecution of the Uyghurs and other Muslims. And ironically, Israel's violations of Palestinian human rights can be described as persecution, recognised as a stage in the genocidal process. So today, when the story of the Holocaust is told at its loudest, is the real message being heard? I'm Brian Byrne. This is Kilcullen Diary. Thanks for listening.